this week's episode is going to need a sort of a separate intro of its own. So first of all, this week's show is a two-part series. So you're about to listen to part one of Jessica Corton's story right now. And part two is already up and ready to go right after this one is finished. So I feel it's a necessary listen because things have changed just massively since part one, the one that you're listening to right now. Um, things have changed massively since we recorded that. I mean, as I'm speaking, right this second, right now, Jess is awaiting the results of her latest scans to see where and even if her cancer has grown. Um, and maybe it's just miraculously vanished into thin air via the prayer c- club that she just started because there have been so many miracles. Like Jess and all of her prayer club members have somehow conjured up magic in the last few weeks. So we are literally just hours away from finding out how far and wide this miracle frequency has spread. But before we dive into her story, I just need to talk about Jess. Um, so Jess is my human. I, I think that everyone in life has a soulmate, like a romantic partner to do life with. And, and then I believe that we all have a secondary soulmate. And our secondary soulmate is not of the romantic type. It's not like our person, our partner, but they're just as important as our romantic life partner. Like you, you do life with this person. You raise your children together. You raise yourselves together. It's like your emergency contact. Um, like our secondary soulmate is, is our life's truest friend, a real friend, not people you just hang out with like a friend, the one who you unbecome with. And then you get to build yourself back up with and and you do it all over again forever and always. It's like your goo phase liaison. And the first, I, I believe that this person is like the one that we also get to show our new butterfly selves to. Like it's scary, right? But they're your hype woman, your your everything. Um, this is who your secondary soulmate is. And it took me a long time to find mine. And it's Jess. It's this is who she is to me. She's everything. But she's this for a lot of people too. Like she's she's this for so many people, but I just get her. Um, which is funny. She also happens to be the co-host for this season of Wake Up With Wesley. Like she is the wisest woman I've ever known in my life. She just walks about this life different. Her faith is different. The way she loves is different. She was supposed to be on season one too, but you'll hear all about why she wasn't in this episode. So I recorded what you're about to hear on part one of this little two-part series over a year and a half ago when I was on a hiatus from the show. But we go in depth on her story here. And part two is more recent. Both are important because she's important to me and to so many others. So I feel it's it's big. It's important that you you know where she's at because she's a huge part of the show moving forward. And we have so many beautiful conversations coming down the pipeline pre-recorded before, before we found out the news. But these two, they needed to be first to lay a foundation because she's been going through a real lot the last few weeks. So in lieu of her latest diagnosis, which you'll be hearing about in part two, a lot of people have come together with a deep desire to do anything possible to support both Jess and her husband, Gabe, and their three kids during a really hard time. And a few of those people, 
named Kimmy and Chris Crosby. Hi. I love you so much. Anyone who loves Jess, they just automatically, now I love them. But these two, the Crosbys, Chris responded to Jess's request of any and all people to join her prayer club. And he just didn't hesitate. He jumped headfirst into her miracle frequency. And in that frequency, he came up with a shirt design with one of Jess's prayers on it, specifically a prayer for radical healing for every cell in her body to return to perfect balance and perfect order. And it's just, it's like one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever read. I now say it and it's, it's on this shirt. The design is beautiful. The shirt is good quality. It's nice. You guys, I, I know you'll really like it. So from there, the Crosby's created a shop in the hopes to support the Corton family through this really hard time where all the proceeds go straight to Jess and Gabe as they and their children have to do this thing, you know? So please just, please go to Jess's Prayer Club website. It's at theprayerclub.myshopify.com. And there you can buy a t-shirt. I want you to rep the t-shirt, talk about the t-shirt, share it online, share it in real life, share it with your friends because I have witnessed miracles that I cannot explain in the past five weeks. Like, It's since Jess started this, this club, this prayer club, I've seen miracles for her and I've experienced miracles for myself, miracles in my children and in my home. It's changing and shaping our faith. Like magic is happening before my very own eyes. And I swear I'll be talking about this month for the rest of my life. And if you want to do more, like I feel called to do, then, then please donate to their GoFundMe. I set it up. It's at, um gofundme.com slash F slash Jess dash miracle dash frequency and just donate whatever you feel called to give. I promise you there is not a more deserving family than this family. Um, I know that was a mouthful and a lot to remember. So I'll be linking the prayer club t-shirts for you guys to buy and support Jess as well as the GoFundMe in the show notes and on my Instagram too. So... Like I said, this is not them asking. They would be, (laughs) this is me. This is me. Um, And all the people that love her so much. So I guess it's just time for you to fall in love yourself with one of the most amazing people that I know who I hold so near and dear to my heart. So without further ado, meet Jessica Corton. If at some point, like, I want to pause, do, we, do I just say something? Yeah. But you'll something? be in flow. It's really just me and you. It's just like this. <laughs> I like this one. Should we go? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I feel like now I gotta breathe. I'm not nervous, but this is weird doing it with you. <laughs> we don't do formal things together. That's no. why. Like, e- like, the fact that we got nails done. Like, we don't ever do things that normal girlfriends we do. We call each other with crisis situations like, and or This love. should be on the podcast. Let's just, should we just start it? Is it starting? This is it. I think just. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, welcome to Wake Up With Wesley. I'm Wesley. I'm your host. And today I'm a little bit, it's, it's a little, I'm pinching myself because I'm sitting here with my nearest, dearest, closest soul sister friend, Jessica Corton. Hi, Jess. Hey, guys. And I'm here with Wesley and the fact that we're even looking at each other. Like, we don't even do this very no. often. We're long distance 
relationship. Yeah. Like that's the way we, we write we've each other deep. love letters. Like we literally got close after we moved away from each other. Yeah. I mean, like our relationship like blossomed, blossomed, it blossomed. Yeah. It did. Let's talk about you for real though. Do you know what's funny about this? I just realized what? What? before I started the show, I told you about it. Yes. And in my mind, I didn't know what the show would be about. I didn't have a name. I didn't have a person to interview. And oh I was like, gosh. oh, I can just like, I'll just call up Jess. Like it, that's the whole I re- reason I started the show. I was like, Jess, I think <laughs> I want to do this. Should I just call you and we'll talk about stuff? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And oh, how funny life got. That is not the way last year went down no, at all. It wasn't. It was a crazy year. We will get into it. Yeah. We'll get all into that. I think people deserve, though, how we... They, they deserve to know how we how we know each other. Do you want me to take take the lead? Yeah. Take the okay. lead and then I'll add in. So I met you how many years ago? Our babies were one. So nine years ago. They're almost 10. Teo Wait. and Remy were one. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So almost 10 years. So I moved to the East Bay, San Francisco area. We had a mutual friend, the Sistrunks. We love yes. the Sistrunks so much. We moved out there for work. Corey Sistrunk was Bronson's boss. It's how we even got the job out there. Like Corey yeah. was the president of the company. He was like 29. It was insane. And they were like, you got to meet our friends, Jess and Gabe. And Jess, the first time I met you, I was, <laughs> you guys, I was so intimidated by her. She is this like, no. can I describe you? Oh my gosh. Describe <laughs> me then. Like, this will be interesting. Beautiful chocolate dark skin huge curly long big hair the most yes. beautiful girl big i've hair. ever seen and you were older than me i was so intimidated by you you were like so established and you and gabe no, were so cool you were even, way cooler than me oh my never everyone knows that couldn't be true <laughs> it, you were wearing cool clothes mm-hmm. i feel like gabe had like made a scarf that he was wearing by himself he sewed it that night oh and i just gosh. was enamored with you two right off the bat so we moved there and right <laughs> Oh my gosh. The first time Jess and I are alone in the car, she's like, so like, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, I like don't hang out with girls. Do you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, SOS, a girl that doesn't hang out with girls. <laughs> I hang out with girls. You were like, you do hang out with girls. Yeah. I'm a girl and you're a girl. And yeah, you are a girl's girl. And I was yeah. like, no, I'm not. And you're like, well, I'm going to make you one. And I was like, oh, geez, no idea. I don't. And you did. Yes. You did. We connected. It was... None of this nonsense. It was, I mean, I think there was all these this, these rumblings of things that we um, understood together or that we would have these moments where we'd have something similar and I'd be like, yes, I am into that too or I mm-hmm. love that thing too. Um, but it really wasn't till we, I, I think in that car ride, that car, I said, like, we should do this. Like, we should be friends. Like, why are, it was this touch and go you all guys, the time. She DT'd, she DTR. I know. And this is you embarrassing because I've never done this before. And when Wesley tells the story, I'm like, I sound so Do you know that it's pushy. my favorite I, thing about you? I hate it. Why do you hate this? This is my absolute favorite <laughs> thing. You gave me a gift. This is what I know I need oh out of my, my friends. Gosh. One day we were in the car and I was being a fair weathered friend. Let's just put it, put it like that. <laughs> and you were like, I like you. Yeah. You don't show me that you like me. And I was like, no, Jess, I like you. And you were like, I don't feel that. <laughs> and she was like, do you like me? And I was like, like, I like you so much uh-huh. and it makes me uncomfortable. And I don't know how to have friends as an adult, as a, as a wife and a mom. Yeah. You were a good mom. That was one of the things about you. I looked up to you so much because you raised your kids more differently than I had ever seen a woman raise children. Oh, my goodness. Can, I have another story. That. I have a story what? about this. It was, a, it was a defining moment for me as a mom. Because I was raised and, and my mom was raised that we're the martyr mom. Like you sacrifice your life for your kids. And 
even if you're having a terrible off day, you fake it around your kids right. and you show up for them and you slap a smile on your face. And so that's what I would do a lot because I thought that that's what a good mom was. Right. And then I was around you, truly one of the best mothers I've ever oh. witnessed in my life. Thank and you. I remember we would go to the gym, Jess. We have all these little kids. Ton between you, me, and Kelsey, a lot of little kids. Yes, oh my god. We're gosh. throwing them in kids' club. Melina, Jessica's oldest, was like having a little bit of a fit. Like, I don't want to go to kids' club today. I don't want to. Jess, in the middle of this gym, oh gets gosh, on I her don't knees. This. Oh, I, this is oh. burned in my memory. What? Gets on her knees, holds Melina, her daughter, by her shoulders, and I remember you giving her this like speech, like do you know how mommy wakes up with you in the morning and I get you breakfast and I want to snuggle you and I want to be there for you and we cuddle and we play all day and that's how I love you and that's how I care for you. And Melina's like, yeah, like I know that. And <laughs> She's then, like, yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah, I know. It. I still don't want to go. I still don't want to go to kids club. What yeah. is this about? Yeah. And you were like, the only reason I can do that is because I have to care for myself too. And how do I care for myself? I go to the gym and this is my time to care for me and love mm. me. And I know that we're a team and you can go to kids club and I can do this and then I can wake up in the morning and be there for you. And she was yeah. like, okay. And she just <laughs> like, she walked into kids club and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this woman is honest with her kids. Oh like it was mind blowingly uh, simple for one, yeah. honest for two. And I just saw you, you let your kids see you. Yeah. And now I do the same. You changed mm -hmm. the way I mother. I love that. It's and true. I didn't, I mean, it's interesting to hear that because I think that's something that I, it's a work in progress. Like we always want to show our kids or we have this idea that we should show them the best sides of ourselves. And that just, that doesn't always get to happen. It's not real. It's not, it's not real. Right. And I, and I think about it when, what always helps me come back to that moment of how do I teach my kids? And I, I think about it is that how do I want Melina to be? Yeah. Do I want to her to be a mother that doesn't take care of herself? Then, then who do I have to be? Like mm -hmm. we, can, I could tell her, you know, that every day. But unless I'm the one that's showing her, embodying the idea of grace with myself, presence, um, moving my body, like taking care, like she can't. Words don't mean anything. She has to see it. You know, and so it's still hard for me, but I love, like, I didn't know that I was doing that then, having that conversation with her. Like, I hadn't realized that at that point I was starting, <clears throat> that I was mothering in that way. Um, and when I hear that, I think, oh, gosh, well, then I've been, I've made a habit of this. It's been long enough. Mm -hmm. It's a habit. And thank you for even remembering that story. Oh, That's, it was impactful. I, I love that. But it is funny that, that, we did not connect the way that we connect now. Back yeah. then, it took us. We've lived apart now for seven years. Yeah. Oh but my gosh! I think we're. I feel you are truly. When I say one of the closest people, I mean, I. You know more about me than Bronson knows about me. You know about the people in eighth grade, like so and so <laughs> who hurt my feelings. Like yes. that is how deep this goes. Yes, and it's so good. It's so <laughs> amazing to find someone that, like, that's what's great about friendships. Right? Can you imagine us living this life without each other? Like, no, I, I wouldn't <sighs> want to do it. And that was my last year is having that that thought forced into me. Mm. I rejected. Yeah. I rejected it. It couldn't be true. Oh, should we just talk about it? Yeah. Why are we even on the show today? Yeah. So yeah, so I started the show. It was 2019. Um, my only plan was have Jess on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, and then that. December 2019 rolls around and I'll let you kind of take over. What happened in December? 
Yeah, so it was like just to kind of stage what was happening in our family life. So I've homeschooled my kids since Melina was in first grade. So I was homeschooling. Gabe was working out of state, so he was flying out you know, Sunday night and coming back Thursday night. And we had been doing this for, I don't know, three or four years. Um, and it was December. So anybody just goes to the month of December. What are we doing in it's December? Hectic. I hate December. It's just, it's a wild month, right? And it's like where we try to make it the most magical month for some reason for like everybody, you know, we're doing all the things. And um, December, mid-December, the weekend before Christmas, um, I went in to a doctor's appointment because I found a lump on my left breast and I went to that appointment to have it looked at. And that was the beginning and the end of the life as I knew it and the beginning of the life that I'm now living. So it felt like an absolute, um, it's like people have these moments where it's like within the snap of a finger, it's like everything changes. And I hear people talk about that on the movies or I hear, I read it in a book or you, and people have those moments and you never think those moments are gonna happen to you. So anyways, um, diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it was aggressive, it was fast growing. And um, our whole family fell apart. Our whole life as we knew it fell apart. Everything that was comfortable was... Um, like you, we were just in survival mode and December was fear. That was the onset of the kind of fear that I never even knew existed. Mm. I thought I knew what fear felt like. And this just bulldozed that. Um, and it was a new type of being embodied. And now that I just think about it, it's like that type of fear. I was about to say, it's like, it's such an alive emotion, mm -hmm. which is so weird, right? Like mm -hmm. that fear actually makes you so alive, yet the fear is of dying, yeah. right? So I don't even know where to begin the story. Like, where do we start? I mean, I don't... I, I remember the call. First of all, I remember you calling and saying, I'm, I'm getting... I just feel like I want to call you today and just tell you this. It's going to be nothing. Do you remember yeah. saying that? I said, it's going to be nothing. Yeah. I just feel like I should call you before I'm like going to get this looked at. And I was like, what? I didn't even know. I didn't know you mm -hmm. had a lump. Right. Like it was, it was such like a, of course, this isn't you. Right. Of course, this is going to be nothing. You are young. Mm -hmm. You are the healthiest person I know. When I tell you her, her favorite snack is cucumbers <laughs> and hummus, like for real <laughs> all the time when she's alone with people like healthy, she only eats brown when bread. she's alone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, Oh, you called. I remember thinking, oh, it's nothing. Like, it's nothing. And then the call back was yeah. wailing. Yeah. Uh, and then when you could speak, because there was days you couldn't speak. No one could even get through to you or Gabe. Gabe, yeah. and, Gabe and her fell into one another. And we all respected your privacy. But when when you did speak, I remember when we finally spoke, you said, it feels like I'm in an ocean. Yeah. Alone. And it is black and it is stormy. And that is my new existence. Yep. That's exactly it. There was it like pretty immediately from that first night of knowing um of that first doctor's appointment began the the nightmare that continued throughout most of my cancer, um fighting my cancer was 
the darkest ocean, the biggest ocean, the biggest waves you could ever imagine. And I would close my eyes and it was just always what I saw. And I think the ocean, it was just that there was, there was nothing that could save me. So my nightmare was just trying to keep my head above the water Mm -hmm. in this mist of, in, in this kind of darkness. And I mean, moving forward, it was, I mean, I don't even know if timeline matters here, but we got, we had diagnosis. I did a few biopsies. We got the particular type of cancer it was. And within like a month and a half, Mm -hmm. we were doing radio, we were not radiation, we were doing chemo. So I did 16 rounds of the gnarliest chemo on the market. Um, I ended up having to do three surgeries and 30 rounds of radiation. So, And all of this to say that the world shut down when Jess shut down. (laughs) I felt in the moment, Jess, when everything happened, it was coronavirus, like the minute that you started chemo. And there was something that mimicked, you are such like a symbol of the earth to me, mother earth, mother, you're my home. Like, you know how people can become home. Earth is my home. You are my home. The the world was sick and you were sick. And I remember being like, nothing makes sense. Like the confusion of it all. I don't know if I can accurately convey like that I logically understood you were going through this and my body wouldn't accept it. I knew it was happening, but it was just like, not, not you, not that family, not those kids, not Gabe. This isn't, it couldn't be real yet. It was. And then we felt the people who loved you most literally couldn't physically have access to you. So you were then isolated in your home during this time. And something that I think that we should talk about because cancer sucks. We can talk about how much all that Right. Shit was shit. Right. The red devil, the the most terrible chemo, losing your hair. Yeah. Having your children witness that. Oh gosh. Yeah. There's, it was, there's so much to it. But the thing that I think is like remarkable about you is the way you chose to look at your cancer. Yeah. The way you chose to fight it. Everyone's always like, fuck cancer. Right. Cancer sucks. Yeah. That like never resonated with me. Why? Like I couldn't, it just like that mentality. And it's, it's, it's fine if it works for people. Like I, and when I say it never resonated for me, it, it was when it was when I was the one with cancer that didn't work for me because that didn't feel like any way that I could heal with that vibration. Like what I knew is that there was a there was there was choice in this and i could go i we spent time with the why's like you're going to do that like that is a question that everyone wants to know like why me why did this happen i'm young i'm healthy um did I, you feel like you did something really did you have moments where you looked at your life and say did i cause this yeah i mean i for sure you know you have moments where you wonder if there was something that i and it wasn't even physical. Like I didn't believe that I, I didn't believe that my body, the way I lived could, could ever be like this physical man, that I wasn't healthy enough. Mm-hmm. So my worry was that it was this emotional blockage. And that to me just felt horrible. And so I couldn't answer the why question. And, and that why was an exhausting, there was only exhausting feelings after trying to answer the why. Mm-hmm. So it had to be, 
It had to be how or how am I going to navigate this? Like I can't answer why. Like God's not going to tell me why. At least not now. Not not that I was aware of. But I knew that there was choice, and how I chose to navigate this, how I chose to heal from this, was going to make my experience different. And I remember one of the scariest moments that I had before my treatment started is going to a women's support group at um, at the local cancer community center. And I mean, the center is, is amazing. It's, it's, you know, the way they um, t- take in patients and the community they created, it's, it's so beautiful. And it's, it's a weird thing, you guys, to show up to one of these meetings. Um, and especially being at the beginning of my diagnosis, it was supposed to be for people that her, like within the last year and a half had been diagnosed or going through treatments. But you roll up there like, and it's in a room with linoleum floors and there's chairs sitting in a circle and you sit down, you feel like you're, you know, you're at a meeting and everybody there has, um, in this particular meeting I went to, everyone there had breast cancer. And I remember looking around and I could see that they were all looking at my hair <laughs> because mm-hmm. I had made this thing like, I'm not putting my hair up like until I have to cut it. Like it, it, I'm just going to leave it down and wild. Like I'm not going to even pull it up. And it was just, and I even had this like feeling of walking in there. Like this isn't cool to walk in with like this sure. hair that is like, so listen, badass. Your hair like a my- no- in a normal group is a little bit like that. It's and- rude, Jess. Your hair it's rude. It's rude to have hair like oh that. It's gosh. amazing hair. And so walking into like this, but it was also like this, I, you know, I even, side note, I remember when I didn't lose my hair right away at, um, after my first few rounds of chemo, my doctor was actually mad. She was like, well, are you washing it? Are you pulling on it? Are you just barely touching it? Like she wanted me to like, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> she was like, no, I'm serious. She was like, I'm tech, I'm going to recheck your, um, your numbers with my, the rest of my oncology. Like the dosage. The dosage. Like she really was going to adjust the dosage. Because you, she, your hair hung on. My hair hung on, you guys. Like I shaved my head, which is another beautiful story to share. And then I had like kind of this big section on the top that was still kind of curly and long or whatever. And um, it hung on. And I told my doctor, like, you don't, you don't understand. Like my hair has a soul of its own. Like I was born with hair, woman. Like I was born with hair that could be braided, you know? I mean, I don't know if it could be braided, but I truly felt like it was so much of my identity. And so I wasn't going to pull it back even for walking into this group, but I felt it. And even when I went in there, it it was a sweetness. Like people like were honoring, like they knew, like I walked in there with my hair down. They walked in there with their hair down their first meeting. Mm-hmm. Like they got it, even though it was this thing, like, am I showing this off? It was like, they honored me. Mm-hmm. They literally like honored that about me because they knew I was going to shave it. You know, they all knew that was coming. And so walking in there, but one thing that was hard, they were so lovely and wonderful. But what I saw as I looked around and saw these women and heard them share their stories that terrified me was that everybody looked so broken. Like everybody looked so sad. Everyone cried. Like when they shared the stories they were telling, like some of them were months past chemo. Some of them were in the middle of it, talking about their children, their families, like what they were going through, how their husbands were dealing with it. Their kids were depressed. Like it was like, I, like I realized what I actually got because unfortunately what I took away from it was everything that was hurting them was all I could feel. Like I did not feel 
like I had this group of women that were going through what I was going through. Like I was like, I'm not you. Like I didn't relate to them because I really thought like, I'm not going to be you. Yeah. And now, and, and I had a big thing about that. And that's what kind of fueled the way I looked at cancer. But the thing that my heart like breaks now is that like, I didn't, like, I didn't give them the respect that they deserve. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't give them, I didn't honor them in the way that I should have because I was in such like a whirlwind. It was just a few weeks after my diagnosis. But now being on the other side of where those women are, like, I understand I'm still broken in places. Like, I still have things that hurt. Like, I still cry every day about it. You feel broken still? I don't know if it's that I feel I think that it's that part of me died. Yeah. I don't know. It's not that I'm broke off. Pieces of you broke off. Yes. That you will not get back. Yes. And lots of those are like that breaking or the leaving of those things, the letting go and the releasing more of those things have been in my, have allowed me to be more in my purpose. But there's still. But what, what I, I don't know this about you. What broke off? Like, I mean, maybe I, maybe I'll still be those things, but I still like look at my old self mm-hmm. and just think, man, she was so cool. Like, like, wow, she had so much energy. Oh, you know, I see that in you now. I look at you with your short hair and I think you're way cooler than long. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I see, you know what I think it is? It's, like the me before now was like untouched by how dark mm. life can be like how lonely how heartbreaking like the kind of pain that i've been through this last year and a half doesn't match anything that i experienced before then so who i was before then was like there's this like sweetness innocent innocent yeah this sweetness that like hadn't been touched by like the rough spiritual sandpaper that cancer was you know like i think it's ram das that says like these moments these like soul opening moments are spiritual sandpaper Mm -hmm. you know and and so i don't know like i see those women now and like i just get i want to hold them i want to be like I didn't get them. But anyways, what fueled me from that meeting was I I went home. I like held it together the whole meeting. And I think I was like just trying to like take it in. Everyone was giving me so much advice about, oh, when this happens and this happens and when you have chemo, like, like you logistic. should live this way, like logistics, like real logistics about how I was going to be. Oh, they were so cold all the time. Like they told me how cold my neck was going to be and like things that I should wear. And so it was like all these logistical things that I had not even thought of. Right. Like I hadn't even gotten to the point where I could even like imagine me shaving my head. Like it was still totally the beginning. So I think it was early for me to get all of that advice. Mm. And a lot of them post their treatments were on like everyone was on almost most people were on some form of medication, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, which, you know, I I just saw that everyone was needing a lot of support. Some people didn't have any support. And most of those women were dealing with just like, even though the cancer was gone, they were still 
hurting a lot. And so when I went, I got in the car and I bawled all the way home. I mean, I like came undone. Like I was driving, just sobbing, was Gabe sobbing. With you? And Gabe wasn't with me. I was there by myself. And I remember this moment that I came, I mean, and everybody in my support group knew I was going to this meeting. Like, you know, Wes knew I was going to this meeting. My dearest Zelda knew I was going to this meeting. And so they all were just kind of thinking, oh, this is going to be good for Jess. She's going to be with people that like know what she's going through. Especially because if people, oh, I got to give context here. Yeah. Jess is the girl we walk into anywhere, the grocery store. She (laughs) knows every bagger's name, their (laughs) siblings, if they had a soccer tournament. Like you are such a people person. I've never seen anything like it. So us, we were like, she's going to have a community even in this space. Yes. Like we knew it. We were right. like, oh, get her with women. She is, she's amazing with women. Doesn't matter the circumstance. Right. And then when you called and you were like, never again. Yeah. I, I ran, I got in the car. I think I called my sister, Amy. I spoke to her on the way home and then was still sobbing. And I said, I have to go in. And I remember running up the stairs and the kids were sitting eating and they were like, oh, hey, mom. And I like ran, I mean, I was like frantic. I ran up the stairs and Gabe was like sitting on the floor in our room. And I literally got into his lap, like a child. Like I got into his lap and like wrapped my legs around him and my arms around his neck. And I just put my head in his chest and I just sobbed. Like I shook and I sobbed till I was sweating. And there was like, mucus falling down my mat like I was just and I kept saying to him take me away from here take me somewhere where I don't have cancer take it out of my body fix it like can you please just do something can you please take me away from here like I can't be that person I can't be those women I don't want to be those women Gabe that's not who I am like if this is the road I'm going to go on take me away and there was part of me that like literally believed that he could fix it yeah or that like somehow he would just be able to like, it doesn't make any sense, Wesley, but I really just wanted him to like put me in a spaceship with him and just take me away. Mm-hmm. And I said it so like forcefully in a way like that I felt like I was crazy because I felt like it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And I have gone back to that moment and I think about how I took that 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 plea to Gabe and I just like punched it into his gut Mm -hmm. and how much that must have hurt him because he couldn't and that continued on for the rest of the year and a half of of my like (laughs) dearest husband trying in all of his power to somehow take it all away I mean and I asked that of him like I'll never know what that felt like for him I mean (sighs) we could ask him But I look at that, like, I was like a child. I was like, take me away, take me away. Like, you know that feeling, you know? Like, you know that, like, you only let yourself be that way when you were a child. Mm -hmm. Like, that hysteric. And I think after that meeting, I realized that I had to do it different, that I couldn't hate my cancer, that I couldn't fight it away. I couldn't... Like there was, it wasn't a fight. It wasn't going to be a battle. Like it couldn't for me and for who I am, I wasn't going to fight cancer. I wasn't going to battle it. And so after a few more weeks, what came to be is that I decided that I was going to love my cancer away, that I was going to tell each cancer cell that it could rest. 
And I would sit in the bathtub every single day for two hours minimum. And I would put on like a playlist and a med- and I would do a med- I would do like these meditations and I just designed my own visualization of my white blood cells like marching up my leg from my for some reason they're in your feet. I don't know if you guys knew that. They just No, I no, did not. Yeah, they're, they're par- apparently they're in my body. They're just are in my feet. That's where they're grown. <laughs> just in my feet because and they're 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 like the bodies of grasshoppers. Did you know that? It's oh, scientifically that makes proven. a lot of yeah. sense to me. So they march up my leg all the way up my the side of my body into like where the into my left breast and they have like this thing that like shoots a heart and it goes around like it expands and it goes around each cancer cell and it closes and then it just says you can rest and i would spend you know an hour of my bath running these visualizations of healing my cancer and literally every cell Every cell. Every cell. Every cell. And that is what it looked like. And that is what I told it is it it was the most gentle way that someone could say to you, hey, it's not, hey, chill out. It's not like, or sit down or stop doing that or, you know, all of those things. It was the sweetest, most gentle way that it was like, you can rest. Um, Well, you told me, and I didn't really understand. I mean, I know about cancer. I know, I know it multiplies, but you told me specifically for your type is that it was the most fast replicating. And and, in your head, it was like, your cancer was like you, like, go, 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 do, 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 multiply, help, do more. And your cancer honestly thinks it's trying to save you, right? Isn't that like the- So this is what my my dear friend, Carrie, who um, works with people that have cancer, like with their diet plans, but she works with other functional medicine doctors. And the way they kind of define cancer in that world is that they no longer can communicate with healthy cells. The cancer cells. The cancer cells can no longer communicate with the healthy cells. And so they literally are like, oh my gosh, guys, like we can't reach anyone. Like- you know, everything is down. Like we've got to save Jess. Like we're the only ones left. Mm-hmm. Like multiply, multiply, like to save her. It's almost mm-hmm. like this frantic, like do all of these things to save her, mm-hmm. right? And I remember after I went to this healing circle that I did with my yoga community um, that my friend Jenny set up was um, this idea of what, how did, oh, I just lost my train of thought. This is what happens. This is like chemo brain. <laughs> this is chemo brain. Is it still okay, there? The healing circle with the your yoga. With Jenny, yes. How can the oh cancer? So the cancer cells are replicating this fast or they believe that they're saving the body in that way. And so when I, when I left that meeting and I thought about these cells that are literally on the left side of my body, right? They're in like in my breast, like feminine side, left side, feminine side. And that my can't my my actual like mass is shaped was shaped like an upside down heart like a perfectly like shaped heart a heart like with like the tip of it the top the bottom part like cut off like it lit like there was so much symbolism in my cancer and I thought every time someone embraces me like they like what's between us is my cancer mm-hmm. like a hug like it's it's literally like between us, how can I hate this thing? How can I hate this thing that's part of my body that's trying to, to save me? And so it was just this idea of, 
how to heal it in that way, how to heal it through like being in a vibrational level that wasn't fighting, that wasn't angry, that wasn't mad. And I just thought about like, people don't heal when they're mad. No. Like I can't, like if my, my like if Lion gets hurt and falls down and he's, you know how sometimes they cry and they're like, it's the mad cry because they're more mad than hurt. But it's like, mm-hmm. it's like I can't like uh, even get him to calm himself and like to give healing to him in any way unless he comes down to that vibration level. Like if he's mad and screaming, like this owie is still gonna hurt. You know what I mean? To some degree. And I just looked at that like, I can't heal in that vibration of anger. Like that's not possible for me. That is not living, you know? That's dying. Yep. And so all of this time of even like waiting for our test results to come in or waiting for, you know, more news because we kept getting worse news. I think I've heard a lot of people that deal with this with cancer. Like you get the first kind of part of your diagnosis and then the more tests they do, the more information they find. And a lot of times you're just kind of like, shit, this is getting worse. And so much of that was fear. And we had to learn how to manage our fear this year. I mean, I think we all were dealing with that with Corona, but it was like, this fear will take us over. This anger will take me over. This cancer, if I'm angry at it, it will change me in all the ways that are not who I am. And I think that was another thing that I was afraid of is that a lot of the women I saw in that meeting, like there was this anger in them, which I understand but I was like, and you know what? I'm sure so many of them have moved past that. Like this was a moment, a snapshot in time for them. But I didn't want to like, I didn't want to be healed and finished with like the physical aspects of it and then be mad. And resentful. It, and resentful. That it happened. That it happened. Um, How did the kids, do you remember in the beginning, you really thought, and I thought this too. Yeah. You remember you were like, maybe we don't need to tell the kids. Oh my gosh. I literally thought I wasn't going to be able, going to have to tell them. Like I had, when we found out I had divided, and this is before I knew I had to do chemo. At first we thought we didn't have to do chemo. I thought I can just tell them I have a surgery. I can just tell them when I have to go to radiation every day that I just have a doctor's appointment, that there's something you in my body. You wanted to protect them. I wanted to protect them from the scary ocean in my dream, in my nightmares. I wanted to protect them from the word cancer. I wanted them to, pro- you know, everything. And I remember what was so clear to me when I decided, so I had come up with this whole plan and Gabe and I were actually like, thought it was a great idea. Like we spent 24 hours. You were like, we're not going to tell the kids. Yeah. That's so (laughs) crazy. Like, what did you even think? I was like, you have to tell the kids. They're going to know because that was, I, that like, you are an honest woman. Remember back to the beginning, you tell your kids everything. They know you. So that's how I knew that's how afraid you were, that you were literally not acting like yourself. Right. Yeah. That's, but it it was a, it was a passing moment because you did, you told the kids. I, I ended up telling, I told the kids and it was because God told me that that was crazy. Like when I was praying and I was asking him, you know, it was so obvious to me that God was like, this is basically the words that came into my mind. What on earth makes you think you can do this without them? Like it was so stern. Like, have I not taught you who these children are? These children are your healers. These children are going to show you the joy, the possibility, the resilience. Like he like they were my healers, you guys. Like I needed their strength. 
I could not have done it without them knowing. They couldn't have embodied strength in the way that they did without knowing what they knew. And when I, when God showed me that, when he told me that, he then, I went and rode my bike, my bike to a coffee shop at like 5 a.m. And while I was riding, riding the bike, it was like a computer. It was like a blank screen of a computer. And it was like typing. And it was just words across a screen. And it was like, it was like I was typing the words, but they were just being given to me. That's exactly how Seeing to tell my kids. your mind's eye. My mind's eye, like writing out how exactly and what I was going to say to the kids. And I remember that a, a few months before my diagnosis, I was on a homeschool nature camp in the Redwoods. And that is when with Teo. Yeah. I don't know if I should share that. Um, you can. But yeah. I'm bawling. Yeah. I'm, I don't even know why. It's the kids. It's the kids. They, I was, we were staying in these these Redwood cabins, like whatever, all the way in the middle of nowhere. And I was getting up every morning and doing my morning ritual and meditation. And I was like, I had gotten to this perfect spot and I like sat down and it, and I was doing, I start with my meditation and my prayer. And in the middle of my prayer, God said, go get Teo. And I was like, what? I just got <laughs> You're here. Like, this is my me this time. Is my I know only, that that's your you time. This is my me time. Why go get Teo? But it was so clear to me yeah. that I didn't even mess around. I picked up my stuff. I know what month this was. This was in August. Yeah. No, no, no. no it was September. September. Yeah, September. I picked up my stuff. I walked into the cabin and Teo's always the one that, is like I have to wake him up. Like the the conch cell that gets blown through the, this <laughs> idyllic camp does not wake this kid up. And I I opened the door quietly, this creaky door, and he was his eyes were bright and awake. And I was like, and I the first thing he said is hi mom, and I was like hi buddy. And I just made motions. I'm like come follow me. So he got dressed, put on his sweats. He's like in his long johns and his like sleepy eyes. And we walked onto this redwood tree that was fallen across a creek and we sat down on it. And I like, as soon as I sat there, I just was like, like this still, like no one existed but Teo and I. There was no one around. Everybody was still asleep. And it was just this water beneath us. And we were like literally on this redwood tree that was like wide enough to sit us both. And we were sitting cross-legged and we hadn't even said words yet. And we're sitting knee to knee, um, like crisscross applesauce. And I just start reaching my hands in the air and like drawing them down to my chest, like kind of the beginning of a sun salutation. We didn't tell them that you're a yoga teacher. Oh yeah. So we her didn't. kids know yoga. Uh, she's a yoga teacher. So they do this often, right? Yes. Like your kids know this. So it was they very like a normal thing for you. Right. Like come follow me. So we sit down and we're, I'm reaching my hands up and I'm putting my hands toward my heart center and Teo just starts like mimicking me. So we're just looking at each other. It sounds weird, you guys. I know this because Teo's 10. We're looking at each other straight in the eye, zero, no words. And we're silently mimicking like mirrors to each other, doing this like sun salutation as we're sitting there. And at one point, my hands just come down to my heart center and his are at his heart center. And I'm looking into his eyes and I saw his soul. Like I saw Teo as a father, as a grown teenage kid, as a young man, as a, like everything. It was like he was fully developed in his eyes. It's like I didn't recognize him as my little Teo, my son, my little boy. And it was like this incredible touch into heaven. 
-hmm. of like, this is who he is. This child is a developed soul that chose to come here to this earth to work out his soul's expansion, right? Like his mission, his purpose, like his embodiment here. Mm -hmm. And it was like, he was my teacher. He was like, I, I looked at him and I was like, he, and, and we both without words, just tears streaming down our eyes. Teo too. Teo too. Teo felt it. He felt it, tears streaming down his eyes. And then just like that, it was gone. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, it wasn't his grown. It was just back to my Teo. And how, how many seconds was it? I feel like I lost time. So it was like, probably like 20 seconds. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was small, but you know, when that 20 seconds, you can stretch that out mm-hmm. and it feels like 10 minutes mm-hmm. of like silence. Like we literally were uh-huh. hovering in our whole, our own universe. And God brought that story, that moment back to me when I was basically like, Oh, by the way, God, like, I'm not going to tell the kids about cancer. Like when I was saying my prayers, you know, and then he was like, he literally, when I was riding my bike, that vision came to me. And I remember telling Wesley about this story and mm-hmm. saying, I had the most incredible experience with Teo. Like I saw him and I thought that the reason I got that, that moment with him was because I was dealing with his learning challenges and he's dyslexic. And so I was like, oh, this is, I was trying to find the right school for him, the right way to teach him and how to help him grow. And I thought it was God saying like, he's going to be fine. Look you at know? him all grown. Look at him all grown. And little did I know that he was going to be like my healer. Yeah. Um, in his own way. And so being honest with my kids was like, it's the only way to live as a parent if you want your kids to know you. I mean, this is one of the things I love about Wesley. And she said this in her podcast that parenting and mothering is a relationship. It's it's more of a relationship than a role. You know, yes. we think of a role that like, oh, our roles are shifting now or whatever. No. This is a relationship and Wesley taught me that. And I've used that a lot when I've parented because I've thought like in this moment, do I want it to be this way because I want it or do I need to spend some time getting to know this child of mine in this moment? Mm -hmm. You know, that is moving from a point. This is a relationship, Mm -hmm. not that this is a role. If I'm being a motherly role, I may be talking at my child in a certain way. If I'm having a relationship with them, I'm sitting down, I'm sitting knee to knee with them and I'm looking them in the eyes, you know? And so I think that the beginnings of that is really what carried our family to like experience cancer differently because I knew that we needed each other and there was no form of hiding or lying Um or minimizing, you know, to some degree, obviously there was things that we protected the kids from. Um, but for the most part, it was, they saw it all. They had a front seat. There was no them going on play dates, going to school, going to classes. COVID hit and it was very apparent that my family was to endure this cancer um, journey together. And head on. And head on. How, how have you think, how do you think it has impacted them now? Because I see that they took that situation and have grown leaps and bounds. The the things the the fear that I had was about the kids because yeah, I know you too. and I know Gabe. And the kids are just kids. Yeah. But I don't think any of my fears, it hurting them or breaking them, I never thought it would break you. Yeah. I thought it could 
scare them, make them yeah. fearful of living or, or fearful of losing you. Yeah. And I'm sure that they had moments of that, but today they're all at my house right now. Yeah. They're, they're all here. hanging they're out. We're like, back. don't bother us. We're doing the podcast. I can't even tell you like the apprehension I had about finally seeing you again and the kids and mostly seeing the kids because I know that I've known them since they were babies yeah. and I know that I would feel their pain if it was there. Right. And it's not. It's not. It happened and it was real and there yeah. was pain. And today the kids are not in pain because of no. this. And they've grown so much. I mean, I think that is the thing is trusting, like just trusting them. I think I had a hard time doing that because I spent a lot of time in my mothering. Um, and I didn't know that I did this till I think at now, mm -hmm. but just protecting them from things, you know, like even though like that story that I told Melina, like this self-care, you know, moving my body at the gym, mm -hmm. whatever those things are, being alone, like I still did things to like not make things harder on them, you know, where yes. now it's like, it's a silly thing because it's like the, it's like the bird, you know, that that's breaking from the, the egg, sh the shell, right? The parent does not help them. In fact, when I was in Hawaii, I was, um, like I'm a nature enthusiast and I was watching these birds like the whole time I was <laughs> that there. That is putting it mildly. I'm a nature enthusiast. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm loves, into nature. And it's it. funny because I think I'm into nature, but like my people in the Bay Area are like times 10 more than me. So guys, they're going to hear this and be Bay like. Bay Area people. <laughs> we're a Literally thing. hug trees. Like I literally like, well, I My dear friend Zelda, like I'm like, I think she's Mother Earth. Like I think she <laughs> If she's listening, she is. And if you meet her, you've met Mother Earth, like literally. So uh, anyways, I'm watching these birds in Hawaii. But the beautiful thing about these albatross is that these eggs, um, the parent doesn't help them. But the parent sings at this particular pitch during the time when the bird is doing the most work to get out of the shell. Because the parent knows if they help at all, that that bird will not survive. If it can't get itself out of its eggshell, it won't survive at all. Mm -hmm. So as much as that parent hears that bird, all it can do is sing to it a song. And so I think about that now, like, you know, with a, when we help our kids break out of some of these tight spaces, then they don't know they can do it. Yeah. You know? And so I feel like I was, I was scared for them to experience this. I think I was I think that scared me the most. Telling them was one of the scariest. Mm -hmm. Before I decided to tell them, I was the most scared. But when I got my stuff together and told them and how I told them, I was, that was probably the most in my power I was my entire cancer experience. Really? Yeah. Because it was for them. I know how to rally for my children. Yeah. All of us do, mm -hmm. right? Like as as mothers, like that is when like people say, well, you can't pour from an empty cup. I'm like, well, actually we do it all the time. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. So don't do it. Don't pour. If from you an have empty a cup. choice, don't. But yeah. we do. But we do. We it. all know mothers. How. We do it. You know, and I feel like when I told them I was so I knew and I remember Gabe and I actually had an argument about it because we were both so stressed out. Like I know he was looking at me like. What in the world makes you think that we can tell these kids, look at us, we are falling apart. Like we can't keep it together for each other. We can't tell, like we were both so afraid of them seeing our fear. And so I remember saying to him and Gabe will say this, like, I know I don't seem ready now, but you know me and I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be ready for them. Oh. 
and I'm going to get there. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And I remember like in between sobs and him saying like, how can we do that? And like immediately I stopped and I was like, I'm going to get there. And so in order for me to get there, the work I had to do inside to like find a way to calm my fear, to find, because you can't fake that. You can't tell your kids that you have breast cancer, that it's aggressive, that you're going to be sick for a year and be afraid. They will feel it. It was the thing that I could not fake. So how did you get there? These, the, I mean, it's interesting because I look at that that prayer of Teo in the Redwoods and knowing that I needed to wake him up, mm-hmm. like God was preparing me. The miracles of it. The, that is like this this in your story is the thing that blows my mind the most because they're endless. They're continuing. They are. The little things that just seem weird. Like, oh, I saw a vision of Teo. Really weird. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. All along the way before, during, and now after. Still, still. Still. And I feel like the miracles and I, and the way I look at it now is that God literally like God creator source, however you look at that like he puts his hand out all the time and i just imagine there's all these open hands with these opportunities for us to grow these moments and we don't have to take them like we literally can just keep walking you know they're like extra coins on the side and what what i learned about myself in this experience in my in my prayers and my meditations and is that like i took those opportunities like if there was an open hand with a with something in it that was for me, even if it was hard, I took it. Mm-hmm. I took it. And that that day of Teo is a small example. I could have just decided, I'm not going to get him. I'm going to do my meditation and then I'll get him after. But had I not done that, I wouldn't have seen him. I wouldn't have seen like, wow, my children are strong enough for me. They were put into my life for me. We are there for each other. Then that those moments when God, of God, when I decided to get calm and strong and I asked for that strength, he gave me all of these opportunities. See, I showed you this so you would know that they can handle it. Mm-hmm. This news is for them to also hold. And I think that was the hardest thing is that I knew my kids were going to have to carry a burden that I felt like was just mine. Yeah. And that's the thing with us as parents and as mothers is that we want to keep our burdens just for ourselves. We don't want to share them with our friends. We don't want to share them with our ward family, with our community, with our synagogues, whatever. We just want to keep it hidden and in because we don't want to bother anyone. But those, you know, those, the people that were there for me, like we were all in pursuit of like, honoring each other in all the states that we were in, you know, like whether it was ugly, whether it was painful, whatever it is. And I just think that my kids were there for me in that way too. And so getting ready looked like being honest with telling them, being mm-hmm. honest, being in my truth, um, praying, meditating, getting that answer of how to tell them. And my, you were there, you and Kelsey and Matona came out Mm-hmm. I told the kids the day after you guys left. I know. You guys were my strength. Ugh. Zelda was my strength. You know, all of the women that gathered around me. But I have to say this, <clears throat> that you allowed us to gracefully witness you break. Yeah. Because the ego in us, even in those moments, even in, in the fear, is still strong. It's still there. 
you don't want to, your instinct is to not show how scary this this really was for you. Yeah. You didn't want to burden us with yeah. it. And you knew that us, it was an agreement we made. We didn't talk about it. We entered a silent agreement. We, we willingly walked into this with you, yeah. knowing that you were going to be honest with us and you were going to allow us to see you in your pain. Yeah. And we took it on. I, it was an honor. Yeah. It really was. Because I think it was one of the most beautiful. I'm going to ball. I just, I've never seen someone go through what you went through. And you allowed me to see you. Mm. Like you allowed me to witness your pain in a way that I've never been able to before, not with anyone in my life. And to to know the depths of how low some of these life moments get and to see you come out of it and joyfully so. And in my in my book, in my eyes, better than before, it gave me a gift that like I can't erase it if I want to. There are moments that were so scary and so ugly. I wish I could er- erase right. it. But really, I don't think I ever want to. In the moment, it was hard, but I don't think I would trade anything. Anything. I think it bonds you for life. Hi guys, Wesley here. Pardon the interruption. I just want to remind you really quickly of my Wake Up With Wesley online shop. So you can buy my Do No Harm, Take No Shit, Yin Yang Crew Necks, hoodies, and t-shirts in all different colorways there. Plus my new Metamorphosis collection with different designs of the goo phase that we all now know and love to talk about. So let's talk about the tees just for a second. It's an oversized fit. It fits most. It fits like, um, it's super boxy and it somehow just seems to hit everyone at the right lengths. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. You guys, I'm not joking. It's magic. We don't know what happened. It just fits people beautifully. It looks cute on everyone at every age, men and women alike, old people, young people, my great grandpa's wearing it and my 11 year old daughter's wearing it too. Also, the Metamorphosis crewnecks and the hoodies, they have the stages of the chrysalis going down the arms. I've never seen anything like it, you guys, and it's just chef's kiss. I have to pat myself on my own damn back. I love it so much. So please support me and the production of this show by grabbing a tee or a hoodie or a crew neck. Um, it means so much to me. I appreciate you all. Love ya. Now let's get back to the show. Bye. I mean... I feel so grateful. Gosh, so, I mean, I had a net that caught me. I mean, I literally, I was held by my people. Like, Mm -hmm. even when I felt alone, there were things that were lonely about it. Listen, there There were, you walked that path alone. You just had us like shining flashlights because it was so dark and scary. We would just like point a little bit ahead for you. But and that people, was you. And prayer. I mean, I really, like, I really believe that that the connections that I had with specific people with my, um, with my family, that there was like, people would come into my home and they would be like, whoa. And I said, I know, right? Like 125 North Creek Circle has lots of prayers coming towards it. <laughs> like, it was a vibe there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, there was a lot there, but there was so many people energetically sending their love 
I mean, and well, it's a testament to how you lived because you had your ward community, your your actual like the place in which you lived, like your neighbors, yes, and neighbors. then your yoga community and your my homeschool, homeschool community. community. It was such a representation of how you lived before, mm. because everyone stopped their lives and they're like, "What? Oh, this not not mm. Jess, not Jess. We're gonna go to her now." I mean, your hairdresser, like, <laughs> I know it's just crazy yeah. the way people just it, it was, couldn't help but want to be around you in the most intense moments of your life. It was such a blessing. It was, it really, I mean, and that's the thing. Like we, like I, you know, when your 2020 music on Spotify comes out of like mm-hmm. your top 20 mm-hmm. music songs you listen to and everybody's like super stoked to listen to theirs. Mm-hmm. I like saw mine. Mine was my meditate, my prayer playlist. And were you like, uh, no, it was or 20 yes. songs. I was like, are you telling me I prayed more than I listened to music? Like out of like, like the amount of mu- like, because that was what I was, my prayers were too. I was actually really proud of it. Yeah. I was like, wow, I did that. Like, I really felt a responsibility to get right with what I could do to heal myself. You know, like I was an active participant in my healing very early on in my journey. I knew that it, I couldn't just like throw my hands up and tell my doctors, my Western do- do- medicine doctors, hey, like take care of all this for me. Like I really felt like part of my journey of cancer was what the the work I was doing internally, the work of the soul, like the connection that I had to God, to source, to like my feminine, like I had a really strong um, pull to a heavenly mother that I had never felt before. And now that is like a, like one of the most beautiful things that came out of my cancer is my relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And I think that all fueled from this idea that I needed to find a way to love and dissolve my cancer cells. Like if there's someone frantic, if they feel like they're trying to save me, if I'm behaving in this way that I have to do, do, do. And I think that we didn't we didn't go back and talk about that. But what I felt when my friend had kind of told me what the energy of my cancer was, was this idea that it had to save everything or it had to save myself. Like, well, how do I behave that way? Like, how do I work myself so much physically? Um, and what does rest really mean to me? Like, what is rest for me? Because the the hardest thing, and you'll say that, you, you know this to us, and get, bless Gabe that had to deal with me. I had such a hard time resting. Mm-hmm. Like, that was like what my body wanted to do, but I wouldn't let myself rest because I felt like the way I showed my love was my hands, was my feet, was the doing, was the holding, was the making, was the driving, you know? And I didn't that was taken away. And so the the real lesson of coming through was how can I exist and just be and just like, like illuminate the love that's in me and can that be enough for my children for a year? Was it? It was. I feel like it was more than enough. It was. like The family that you are after the fact is different. Right? In the best way. I don't know how. It, there aren't words yeah. to describe how it feels different. But yeah, it's it's more peace. Like a love so peaceful. Yeah. Like we've, I think when you go through that kind of fear and when you face it, when you soften it, when you see what's really on the other side of the fear is like your sorrow. It's 
the things that you're scared, like what was I afraid of? Like not living the life that I wanted to still live, not being there for my kids, not like loving Gabe every day of my life, like not being with him, like all of those things. But so the fear was around that, but the sorrow, right? Like what was the side of it that was soft? You know, like there were so many things that maybe wanted to tense. There were so many times where like my fingernails were like digging into my palms. There were so many times when I was like in this contraction of fear and, and it was like the hardest thing was release and allow, like let it in, like see the other side of it, see what it's teaching me, like honor it. And I don't know if I'd ever been still enough to really do that in my life. Yeah. And I think it's the hardest thing to do. I think it's the thing that we're all so scared to do. And so we do a million other things to not do that thing, Mm -hmm. which is go to the place where we're uncomfortable, sit in the place where there's sorrow, like be close to the ache in your heart because it's trying to tell you something. And I feel like what I really learned in coming close to that ache and coming close to that, that feeling and that vulnerability is that it was it was, it's like me, it's my highest self saying, there's more to live here, Jess. There's more to feel in this moment, like you're missing it because you're guarding or because you're protecting or because you're closing or because you aren't allowing. And like, there's like this whole side of life that we're not embodying and living because we're afraid of it. Yeah. And that dark side, that edge, that discomfort, like if we can think of our edges more like wind, more like water like more like sand, then it's like, we're letting like the earth bless us. We're letting God bless us in our trials because I truly believe that they're, they are holy messengers mm-hmm. if we allow our pain to be. And, and that's, I, I, I struggle with this idea and Gabe and I do this all the time. Like how can we hate something that brought us so much wisdom mm-hmm. that brought us so much love that connected us to so many humans that allowed us to touch into like to experiences that we would never would have otherwise. And so you learn to like honor your pain because it's teaching you something. If you allow it, if you hate it, then there's no lesson. There's just tightness and constriction and prolonged suffering. Yes. And prolonged suffering. Do you remember what you, so, so she stopped her, she finished radiation and then they, you guys moved to Hawaii just Mm -hmm. to like decompress. Mm -hmm. And do you remember telling me it was probably the first week you were there and you were still in the haze, the aftermath of chemo and radiation, because that stuff stays in your body, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, a detoxing period where even though you're done, you're not done. Yeah. And I think just the mental, the mental the cortisol levels that we held for so long, like our body was still, yeah, unwinding. I remember the story you told me that you, you called me and you said, I figured out how to slow down time. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember? Yeah. I loved that. How do you slow down time? Yeah. You feel it all. You feel it all. You have to feel it all. And that's the edge. That is the edge. And slowing, it's like, Time is crazy because there's times when you want it to go fast because it hurts, Mm -hmm. right? And when you want it to prolong because there's joy. And it's just this concept of impermanence, right? That it's not 
ever going to stay, whatever it is. It's always constantly kind of changing. But when I learned, when if you can live slow through the discomfort and through the heartache and through like even the physical pain, like if you allow it, then when the joy comes, like, then you can slow that. You too. can slow that too. Like, yeah. what is that moment that you're like? I like always measured my baby's feet in my hands when I was nursing them. Mm-hmm. Like how big it got up my palm, you know. And I remember like just wanting that moment to last longer. And I remember seeing my babies like I couldn't. I mean, when we first got to Hawaii, I couldn't even get in the ocean because I was still recovering from my surgeries. And so for the first like almost month, I just watched Gabe and the babies like play in the water. And I remember it was just this one day. It was like the first few days we were there, and I saw them like jumping in and out like they were animals. They literally looked like puppies, just like mm-hmm. playing. And Gabe was in there, so embodied. And I just sat on the beach and just cried out of joy and it's like I thought that they had been gone for an hour and I was watching them and I was like that was so like that was such a long that was so fun they were like it's been like five minutes mom and I was like wait what and it was the slowing down of like the joy like if you live it all if you commit to like not numb then you get to feel it all like and there's so much good you know there's so much bliss there's so much good there's so much like all of the the high notes are there, you know, that we get to embody. And so, yeah, that is slowing down time. You feel it all. You feel it all, guys. It's yeah, hard. This is just, I. this is the first podcast where I'm unable to p- communicate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, what are you are communicating? I'm just like, I think that, I think that this is, is important because it signifies that it's done. Yeah. Like it's done. It's a weird. Does it feel, what does it feel like? It feels like a lot of times I wonder if it even happened, if that sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be in a moment that's so lovely, like so beautiful, so, normal. so simple. And that's what makes it so amazing. It's, it's so normal. And like we used to like fear Tuesdays. Tuesday was like every chemo day was Tuesday. And every surgery day happened to be Tuesday. It was just weird. And I remember like slowly we stopped remembering that it was Tuesday. Like when chemo went away. Like now we don't even think about it. Like I now used to Tuesday still get panics like on Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that like it being done, it feels like we're still building the foundation of who we want to be and how we want to live. Let's we'll never live the same again, guys. Like I just can't care about a lot of stuff now. Like Mm -hmm. the things that I used to like spend a lot of energy on, like I, I won't do that to myself anymore. And I think the advice that I'm giving myself is like, what in my day is giving me life force? What in my day is taking life force from me? Mm -hmm. And like, I used to have to be so conscious of the energy that I had left in a day because I always wanted to save it for the kids. It was always like, I want to ride a bike with them today. I want to like play four square. Like I want to draw a four square thing in the driveway and play that with them. And it was like, I was always managing my life force. And now I don't really have to do that anymore. Like I'm healthy. 
I can like run around with the kids. I could play soccer with them. I can hike with them. I can, and I could do it all day if I wanted to. So it feels like a celebration of life. It feels like a celebration of like doing things that I even hated doing before. I'm like about it. I'm like, I'll (laughs) clean this bathtub, even though my kids are doing it now. You know, it's like everything becomes like a way for me to make the moment I'm in lifted. Yeah. Like, I just want to live that way. I want to lift, like, I want like that grass I walked across in your front house to be like, yeah, awesome. Jess just lifted us because I just thought you're so green and so pretty. Like, I just, she really is like, wow, everything is the best with you. Yeah. Everything with you right now. We got a pedicure. She was like, this is a pedicure with my new toes. Wesley treated me to a (laughs) pedicure and they're just like a party. They're like a bright fluorescent party. And this is the first time that I've had paint in my nails since cancer because I wanted to know if they were going to fall off. Like, But it's a celebration. Everything. And Gabe, you know what? Gabe's the same way. We were outside the other night talking on the porch and... And he said, he said, I'm so happy it happened now. Cause it's, it was so yeah, shocking. Was, the time really frame nice, of it, you're yeah. so young. Yeah. And it, that was everyone's like gut punch. Like, no, she's so young. No. Yeah. And he Gabe, he said it. I'm so happy it happened now. And not when we're 50 or 60, because this is like the craziest course correction, which for you guys is nuts because you're already living a amazing life before, right. like yeah. a pure life. So it trickles down, it trickles down to, to the people who love you, your support, your net, and then, and then their people and then our children and our children. And now this podcast, I think that it's so important to hear and to share this story because I think it really, we don't know how far the ripples go, but the way that you've done this has been beautiful to witness and graceful, Mm. even though you didn't feel like it was done. So it was for me watching and witnessing. Thank you. Thank you for witnessing. Thank you. Wesley would call me and say, when I, during my hardest chemo treatments, she'd say, I want to know what hurts. Like what, what are exactly the places in your body that are hurting? And I remember the one that I told her was like, the it back hurts of your knees. the back of my knees. It hurts to like lift my like underwear and my pajamas up after I go to the bathroom because just the fabric running on the, my legs hurt. And so she would pray for the back of my knees. She would like pray for all the pieces of my body that hurt. And I just like to have a person that calls and says, let me take your pain however I can. Let me pray for it however I can. I mean, I love you forever. I love you forever. Well, now you got me. I'm a praying woman now. Now I pray for silly stuff because I know it works. It works, you guys. Like it really does work. I think for those of you out there that, you know, are praying for people and they and you're just like, does this even work? Like what's really happening here? It works. It works. It really works. Like my family feels it. We feel it. People that came into our house would feel it. Like the amount of miracles that came to pass so that Gabe could be with me. I mean, all of your listeners that donated. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Instagram. We did a, we did a GoFundMe (sighs) early on in the day and so many people showed up, but that's a testament to you and your life. But I mean, there were so many people we didn't know. No, I mean, most people, we didn't even know anonymous donations of people giving $4, $5, $20, $5,000. I mean, contributing to like my family's healing. Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to know all of you, like how grateful I am and how like 
none of that like falls lightly on me. Like everything we did as a family that allowed us to be, for Gabe to be there taking care of me was we were in gratitude and on our knees for people's names on that list. People we didn't know, names that were spoken in prayers that like this person, this person, this person, we're still praying for you and like thanking you for 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 seeing us, for seeing me, for loving my family. Like the people that I can't, I kept thinking about the people that like made dinner for me. Like well, you think it's like a, not a big deal to make someone dinner. But for me, like you were my hands. Like people yeah. were my literal hands. Like Lion remembers, like, in fact, Lion told me that one of the hardest things about cancer was that he couldn't hug me as hard as he wanted to. Oh. He's like, and I didn't get as many hugs from you because oh. he's like, I mean, Nana hugs are good and daddy hugs are good. And he missed you know, his mama. But hug. I, he's like, there, he said, nothing's like a mama hug. Oh, but I think six, about six, the right? people that, yes, that hugged him hard oh. for me, that loved him hard for me. Like. There's so many, there's something about people standing in your place for you. Like, I think we do that. Amina, she literally, I met her when I was 12 and she came out. She probably spent over two months with us by the time she kept extending her ticket to stay. (laughs) COVID hit. My dad couldn't come out. He was sick. She stayed another 10 days. She like played with my kids. Like we shaved all of my hair off, Wesley. We shaved it all off because every follicle hurt. Like every, like think of how much hair I have uh, that we all have, right? No, you every more. little follicle like hurt, and so we had to shave the top part off that we had kept kind of growing. And I, the the kids were there for that, and so we shaved it all the way down to just bald. And I cried, and my babies like crowded around me, and like hugged me and kissed me. And I remember just, it was raining outside. I felt like the earth was always like just mimicking like what I was feeling. It was like stormy and rainy. And I remember we went upstairs and I got into the shower and Amina was there and I will love her for this forever and a million other things she did. But she turned Just Dance on, Mm -hmm. volume all the way up. And all I could hear were my kids laughing. Mm -hmm. She literally danced with them. She saw us break all the way down. All of us were sobbing, you know, shaved my head all the way down. And I went into the shower and kneeled in the shower and cried and hit my head against the shower door. And Gabe got in there with me, I think in his clothes first, all the way and wrapped me up and we both broke down. And the one reason why I could even let myself do that is that all I could hear downstairs was music and my kids laughing. And I know Amina wanted to break down. Mm -hmm. And she just said, no, I'm going to just stay down here and dance with your kids. We're going to just dance. We're going to just dance it out. Those are the angels. That's what I saw too, is that that humans really are the angels. I don't think they they are. Yes. I think that we get so ethereal about Mm -hmm. things and we we look up Mm -hmm. for the answers. I think it's all here. I think we embody it here. I think it's it's it, it's possible up, and, and it's possible here. here. I feel like, you know, creating our own heaven here on earth is not like. I think that touch into Teo when I saw him, I think that was just like a sliver of, like God letting me see heaven here. Mm-hmm. That like Teo is a grown, 
soul. You know, our children are these grown beings like Amina, Wesley, all these people that came to me, my family, my sisters that like when we are in a place of service, we're literally vibing on a vibration that's higher than our normal. That's probably why service is like so good for us. Like that's why like. Oh, it never was draining. I remember you at one point you were like, I'm sorry. I re- Do you remember yes. oh, saying, I'm sorry, yes. it, this is hard. I'm, I feel like I'm interrupting your day. And I can tell you, Jess, never once did it ever feel like any of that. Never a burden. Never a, oh, I got to prepare myself. This is Jess. If anything, it was a, oh, yes, I get to be here. I get to be here. This is the only place I want to be because it matters so much. I mean, it's the stuff that those are the things that matter, right? Like all the, the other, sh- it's all bullshit. Yeah. And it's you throw all it bullshit. all away. That's why it's like really hard. I think that's another thing that's hard about coming back into life and especially being, being on the island in such like where life is so, um, just much simpler there. It's quieter. It's like celebrated in simple ways. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a big ta-da there in, on, on the North shore. Like, Everyone there is about like, let's go to the beach. Let's watch the sunset. Like those are important things to people that live there, it seems like, and a lot of, you know, and so we come here. I think part of it is for me, like figuring out how to like be in this world. We've been healing. We were suffering. We were coping. Then we were healing and we were, now we're building this foundation. It's like how to live again. Well, you've been in a bubble. In a healing bubble where it was like reinforced by everyone you know and love. Like no one will let anything in that bubble. No one was going to pop it. And now it is taking what you learned inside that bubble and embodying it outside. And that is so hard. That is scary. Like I I, I called it my healing cloud. Yeah. Like Zelda would say, she would text me and say like, go back to your healing cloud, like float, you know? And I think that. Now it's how can I take these things, these lessons, and I, even lessons sounds kind of like trite, but it's not even, it's just like, it's the new way to be. It's like mm-hmm. how to exist and embody like truth. That's what it is. Be the truth now, Jess. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, I don't want anything in my body that isn't the truth. I don't want to say things that I don't believe to you know, I really want to be the truth because I think if we can be that for ourselves, then we can reflect that to each other. Mm-hmm. And when you're around people that are true, you feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a ring in your body. It like rings a bell. It's a vibration that like does. means something. And It's and a signaling. It's a signaling. And like, and we all know it. We come into a room and the people that are living in truth, you can look at them and be like, oh, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you too? And it's like, that's it. Like you live there. And so I think all of us are craving that. And I don't think we can have really experience our truth until we've been in the fire. Mm, And if you're not willing to burn it all, to lose it all, like, then I don't know if you'll find your truth. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But I feel like we burned like a lot of what I look back in my journals, what I wrote about, there's a lot about it being in the fire. Like cancer, we think cancer is like so physical, you know, but I think what we're learning about our bodies and about healing and about kind of these dis-ease in the body that that so much of that is fueled from 
the emotional aspect from the things that we push and hold down. And I kind of hate to even admit that because I'm not ready to believe the truth that like I gave myself cancer. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe like, you chose cancer. Like, what is it, Louise Hayes? The body keeps the, not the yeah. body keeps the score. But that's another that's good that one. That's that one. I know what you're talking about. And I think she's awesome. Like, I love her, but I'm not ready for that. Like, I don't, I feel yet. like your soul chose this. And I think every, I think your children did. And I think Gabe did. Yeah. And I think the timing of it was divine. I don't think it just happened to you. Yeah. I feel like I chose it in a way. Yeah. You chose me and I chose you. Like we chose each other. And I think that is the choice. Like I wanted, I remember saying to Wesley and, and, and this didn't happen. So this was, it was a good idea for myself, but I didn't, I don't think it's possible. I thought when I'm done with my treatments, I want to be done with it all. And so I thought that if I like mentally met all of my edges Mm -hmm. during cancer, during my healing, during my like my treatments and all of that, that like when I finished radiation or when I rang the bell, I would be healed. And I really thought that was possible. And Mm. I'm here to tell you guys, no, it's not. (laughs) It takes time. It takes time. But I do think the amount that Gabe and I were processing as we were going was so profound. Profound. It was just, it, I think it was a crazy way I did it. I think that even in when I look back to some of the writing I was doing that I, the things that I posted on my Instagram, I was like, wow, I really shared. I really like let you know, like these people know how I was, how I was feeling. And I think it was, it was, I wrote and when I posted, it felt very much um, like it was something to be shared. Not because I wanted anyone to have a certain way about it, but me discussing or documenting how I was managing my anxiety, my fear, my unrest, my aches, my, all of those things, like a lot of us are feeling those things. It's not just a cancer thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And the, what was profound was if you allow yourself to dip into those depths to go to your pain. It's like under the ice, there's like healing water and it's your own water. Mm -hmm. It's like your own medicine that you like. It's custom. Yes. It's it's so well said. It's custom. And I learned how to tap into a part of myself, to a depth of my soul that, that I found how to heal myself on a daily basis, how to honor myself, how to like reach. It's, it's like, it's an opening. It's, it's water. It's like this idea of healing waters are in us. But if we don't allow ourselves to feel that, to feel the ache, to feel the hard, then we never get to tap into it. Mm-hmm. Does that even making sense? Jess, you don't know how much sense you make. Uh, every time I talk to her, I'm, she's like, is this making sense? I'm like, yes, keep talking. Prophet because woman, stop. don't ask if like, this makes sense. We get it. So many times I feel like these are just <laughs> thoughts that I have in my head. And then Wesley's that, that person that like hears my, all these iterations of these discussions. But I really feel that we have the power to heal ourselves. And I'm not saying that not I, I needed to do chemo, not in... It's not that that Western medicine wasn't necessary for what I was dealing with, but in all these other places where we're looking outside for healing, Uh um, there is, 
there's a place that we can tap into ourselves. And it's, it's really that expansion of our soul wanting to be in alignment, of our soul wanting to say, hey, live this life live the life that you're meant to live. And now I just see that differently. I just like know my, like, I don't know what my future is going to be. We don't know at all what we're doing yet, but I know that it's going to be true. And that just makes me stoked. Me too. You know, like. Listen, this is the most you I've ever known you as, and you've always been you, but this is just another layer of you. That's like, it's beautiful to see. And I feel like, She's here for the listeners listening. She, we don't know how long, but I would love, I mean, obviously now, now this is exciting for me because now people get to know a piece of me because you're one of my most divine spiritual teachers. Like, like this is how I came to be me is a lot of our private conversations. Oh my gosh. This is how we, and now don't you all understand listeners? (laughs) Like, don't you get it? How could I not be like, this is my friend. I, we just sit and talk about this stuff all day, every day, (laughs) even when it's not cancer. It's like this, but I, while you're here, I mean, I'm not even going to ask the listeners because I know what they're going to say, but I know that we will want more from you. I think that you should come on more and we like pick a topic and you yes. just go. I know I want to hear more of it. To. I want to record it for myself. I want these to listen back on and to reflect until I'm 92 and you're 96 or however. Yes. Old. And we're laying on a beach together. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Let's do it. So I can't wait for, for do it. the listeners to hear even more from you. And I love you. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm so honored that you did this with me and alchemize some of this the pain of this last year like this is a big deal just like you're you're telling the story after the fact you're not in it we're not in it i know and like sitting like so much of wesley's and i's communication was over the phone like so many heartbreaking conversations like i would call you and then i'd be like i gotta go bye (laughs) like all that you held and to be able to like be in the same room with you i know like physically in the same room with you. It's like, and you have hair and I have hair. You guys, my hair is curly and growing and still wild. (laughs) still doesn't listen, (laughs) but it's, it's, it never will. It never will. It's okay. It's it's good to be like, just in your presence. Like, I know this is something that we've all missed this year of like not being able to be with the people we love, Mm -hmm. like be, and, and I love what we've been able to create without being in each other's presence and everyone in the world, how we found ways to connect. But wow, does it feel good? Like humans, like we need each other. Like we need to touch each other's hands and hold each other's faces and look into each other's eyes. And that's what I'm getting to do with Wesley right now. And it's like, it's too good. Best ever. It's slowing down time. It is. You guys, we're slowing it down. It's slowing time. Slow time with me, you guys. Should we make t-shirts that say something like, I slow down time. <laughs> like, I feel it all. I just, feel it all. I slow down time. I just feel it feel, all. That's all. Feel it all. Just learned a magic trick over the yes. last year. Yes. Okay. I love right. you. It's been an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. Edit this. <laughs> love no, you. No, we're not editing. <laughs> I love you guys. This is Jessica Corton. Hey, how can they find you on Instagram? You don't do anything on Instagram, but I'm going to maybe just Yeah, I think it's Jay Corton. I think I'm, I think I literally just opened it up (laughs) for you. Like, I think I went like not private. I, but there is a lot of my story on there. So I posted a lot. And Corton is spelled C-O-R-O-T-A-N. Yes. Jay Corton. Yes. So find her on Instagram. There's going to be more from us hopefully soon. We don't know when, but I love you, Jess. Thank you for sharing. I love you. 